It honestly is one of the greatest things about me is that I can read music. <laughs> Mainly that I can sight sing, actually. Yeah. It is very useful. You're, I think you're a good sight reader as well. I am a good sight reader. Yeah. yeah. Like, and yeah. that's a real skill. Yeah, I think it is too. Yeah. Thank you, Ruth. Yeah. And that has been our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Daily affirmations specifically for me. Yes. With you're Ruth a great Josephine. sight reader. <laughs> Actually, can we record that podcast where you just give me one solid compliment and that is it? When those home boots arrive, they will complete your life. That's not a compliment for me. True. You're going to look so hot in those home boots. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very well, thank you. We've got a new outlook here. So, like, I'm looking out the window, which is strange. Yeah, I'm in a different spot than normal because there's a couch in the studio that we're recording now. So, I'm luxuriating on the couch. Literally luxuriating. While, with my feet up, while Josephine sits on a backless piano stool. (laughs) Also, that's Josephine. That's Ruth. This is my favourite musical, the podcast. Yeah, we talk about musicals to you. We talk about our favourite musicals to you. That's right. 40, so I'd like to tell you about Sunday episodes. in the Park with George. Oh, yes, just that. It's every episode is you talking about Sunday in the Park. 47 episodes. I know. If we get through this one. I know. It might all fall apart. Maybe this is the this one. This is the one. <laughs> this is the time. Oh, okay. Pause. Yep. I would like to first acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast. Yes. We would also like to pay respect to the elders of this land, both past and present, and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening. And it's dark and young land that we record on. This is dark and young land. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Um, It's actually, uh, at the time of recording, this is the first day of Reconciliation Week. Yes, that's right, because it's been Sorry Week, right? Yes. And then I re- think, well, Sorry Day was yesterday, yes. so then now this, this is the beginning week. of Reconciliation Week. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Cool. Yeah. And um, also, Josephine and I saw Fun Home recently together. Oh, my God. At Sydney Theatre Company. I forgot that we hadn't talked about that. I know. We haven't recorded since we saw it. Shit. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. it amazing? It was magnificent. Yeah, I, I, quite a few people I know have seen it recently and everyone just agrees. It's just like such a special piece of theatre and it was yeah. a really special production, It I was thought. a fantastic production, but, yeah, it really is such a special piece of theatre. Yeah. Like it, it's it's such a non-musical musical. Absolutely. Like it just makes you feel like you're watching a play and the singing, like the fact that they're singing is so authentic yes. to the moment and the characters that you just forget it is a musical. I know. And it's, because it's such a small story, it just feels so intimate. And Yeah. yeah. And that um, set, man. Yeah, the set was incredible. The, uh, the production really was really special. Like, mm. Obviously, like I, I had seen it on Broadway. I talked about it in our Fun Home episode and that was done basically in the round. Yeah. And you almost go, how like how are they going to do this? But it was completely different and yet still worked perfectly. It's still so beautiful. It was, on, it was on like a revolve. like the Yeah, but like, in a proper proscenium arch. Yeah, but in, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, it was really well done. The performances were amazing. <sighs> it yeah, was I such just, a good, it was good really production. Great. God, it's good to get see theatre like that. It isn't was it? lots of tears. Oh, so many tears! Yes, it was so good. Um, and in on the day that we are recording this, they have announced the date of the Tony Awards for this year. Have they? I didn't yeah. see that. Oh yeah, September twenty sixth. Cool. They're doing it a bit weird. So they're doing like Shakara. I know. So two two hour things. Oh. The first two hours will be all of the awards. Yeah. And they're. 
not putting that on CBS. They're putting it on like Paramount Plus, mm. um, which is like a streaming service in America that I guess CBS owns. I yeah. think it's all the same company. And then the last two hours will be kind of like a big concert <gasps> and they're going to announce, I think it's best musical, best revival of a musical and best play Excellent. in that two hours. So what I don't know as an Australian person, yeah, like- fan, is so – Previously, like, on Foxtel, it's always been, like, on the Arts Channel. Yeah. The CBS broadcast. So, but like, which, like, what are we going to see? Are exactly we going to be able like, to see both? Or? Are they only going to show that second two hours? Are we going to have to use a sneaky VPN and sign up for Paramount Plus? Like, yeah, shit. So I just don't really know. But it's cool. At least we know the structure of it. I'm very much looking forward to those second two hours, though. Yeah. Well, they said it's going to be, you know, kind of like a – not a retrospective, but, you know, like a big celebration of Broadway coming. Because, of course, well, September also things 26, will have opened. Yeah. Yeah. So we should talk about that as well um, because that's all kind of been announced since we last recorded as well. Yeah. Lots of shows have announced their reopening dates. Yeah. And interestingly, like, they all kind of had announced for September 14th that was going to be the first date. So, like, Wicked, Hamilton, Lion King and Chicago all reopening that night. Yeah. But then a few days ago, Town was just mm-hmm. like, we're opening September 2nd. Yes. And it's almost like no one can really work out how they're allowed. Yeah. Like, everyone, like, I've read, like, a bunch of Broadway World message boards and stuff and everyone's just kind of like, but how? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw because I follow um, Eva Noblazado on Instagram. So yeah. I saw that and I was like, what? Yes, how? <laughs> so they're going to be like the only Broadway show running for almost two weeks before the rest of them open. It's great. And then all these fans were really worried that those shows were going to change their dates. Yeah. And all these people who'd bought tickets to be there to the on the first. first performance. Yeah. Well, they can't really, can I don't they? Think, I don't think they will change it. But, yeah, so Hadestown is just they're going in earlier. It's awesome. That's <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I didn't actually read the full announcement, but I saw there was some announcement about Town and the composition of the band as yes. well. Did you see I that? Think, I think they've done a call out for both um, like racially diverse and genderly diverse, genderly, that's not a word, <laughs> gender diverse um, musicians yeah. um, because they really just want to, yeah. because Broadway pits, we've talked about it a lot, are yes. traditionally like white, white. men. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they're just trying to sort of, yeah. I think, get that scope out there and so I think they've made a commitment to have they yeah yeah, to having like a certain number of people in it's already a very small band yes I think it maybe they've said that they will definitely have two people who are uh racially yeah racially diverse yeah um but are very open to more so that's cool too yeah that's awesome yeah I mean anytime someone makes a commitment I think that that's worth recognizing you I know? agree yeah I totally agree um, I read a thing the other day that in the UK um, a bunch of the major theaters over there have signed a pledge that if there is a trans or non-binary character in anything that they produce they will only cast a trans or non-binary person oh, now wow yeah which is really great because there was a big to do one of the big theater companies over there uh, and I won't say which, I I I, it was one of the really big ones yeah. had cast like a non-trans person in a, in a role that was mm. trans and there was quite a big outcry and one of the other actors in the show ended up leaving over, over it. And, th- and then COVID hit. Like this was sort of pre-COVID. So similar to what happened here with Hedwig. Yeah. I that- mean obviously Hedwig's a bit more grey. This mm. was like quite cut and dry I yeah. think. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and so it was – it was, um, yeah, it was a, a big thing. So, yeah, a bunch of them have signed this pledge now. Fantastic. Which I think is really great. Gosh, it, it makes me so happy that we're talking about trans rights now. Yeah, Like I absolutely. just feel like that is, yeah, it's just been such a long time coming. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. fantastic. Yay. Yeah. Hey, um, I want to talk about In the Heights. Oh, yes, of course. We have also seen the In we the Heights We saw In the film. Heights. We saw the film, everyone. Oh, yeah. my God. You're jealous. You should be. It you was really be. good. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. 
I so I was thinking about like what to say about it. It was actually just as wonderful as I in like my wildest dreams I had hoped it would I be. Know. But I have so little faith in modern musical film adaptations that I think my expectations were unnaturally high for even for me. Yeah. Like, that I was just so happy yeah, with how it was it went. incredible. It was really incredible. I can't wait for it to come out. Um, I'm gonna see it again and again. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So I thought like um Here's my critical hat now. I thought there was some, obviously they had to edit some bits, but I think the the edits that they made were necessary and were good decisions. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think the lack of the song in New Till is that it didn't need to be in the show, but that's a personal problem for me because I love that song. Could Jimmy Smith sing? No. Okay. So, Do you think that's why they yes. cut it? I honestly just think he wouldn't have done it justice. Yeah. And they still use the melody as underscoring, which I really appreciated. Yeah. Um, but like Jimmy things, Smith's played um, yeah, the dad. Nina's father, yeah. I think just to be fair, like things need to be cut in a film and the choices that were made were really solid. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I understood every choice that was made. Yeah. Um, and you can't always say that with a musical adaptation. No, you you know cannot. what I mean? Yeah, like that's right. But every single one I thought, oh yeah, I can see why they did that. Yeah. I miss it, but I can see why they did that. Yeah. I loved the casting. I casting thought that was great. the casting was incredible. There's a lot of people that I looked up afterwards going, God, have they, like have they never been in anything before? And of course they have been in things, but it's it's not things that would cross our paths. So like the Vanessa had been in a bunch of telenovelas, for this, example. Wasn't this like one of her first English? I think so, yeah. Like, yeah, English yeah. films. And um, and the Nina had done some other stuff as well. Like, yeah, but it was also, oh, I think the Nina is like a um, like a Latin pop yeah, b- right, recording okay. artist kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, nice. So, again, you know, very well known in certain circles, but just not, the, she wouldn't have crossed our paths yeah. before, you know. It was just so well cast. Yeah, I loved it. It was beautiful. The and Benny was so charismatic. The Benny was great. The Sunny, oh, my God, I loved them all. Yeah, actually, this, I don't know who that kid was, but, no. geez, he was good, the Sunny. Apparently he was in an epi- I think he was, like, in Kimmy Schmidt. He oh. was, like. Like yeah, a okay. fairly like a quite a recurring role in Kimmy Schmidt. Anyway, oh. I have to like figure it out. But yeah, I did okay. I did look up his Wikipedia, of course, because And um for those like hardcore fans, you'll be very happy at the Chris Jackson Lin Manuel moments yes, that happen in the film. Exactly. And so. of course we should say like Anthony Ramos, oh, yeah. you know, who plays Usnabi is just so good. But just like how could he be better than Lin Manuel in that role? And yet he was. Oh, well, I mean, I, I don't know if I'll go that far because I, I just have like, such a special place in my heart for Lin. But, but like, uh, like, I agree. But I think you and I are probably just like biased. You know what I mean? And also, I will say that like, I think Anthony Ramos is more of a movie star. Right? Definitely. Like, he's just so captivating on screen. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, I really think he's going to go a long way. I hope so. It's a bit like it was with like Leslie Odom Jr. and stuff. Like, yeah. you can just tell, like, they're stars. They're stars. Like, you know, proper stars. Yeah. yeah. I thought that ever since he was in that te- 21 Chump Street. Yes. Like, yeah, you love that. He's so good in that. Yeah. And, yeah, he's really great. Yeah, gosh, in the heights. It was really yeah. good. Um, I also want to talk about Girls 5 Ever. Yes, I have it written down as <laughs> well. Do you? Oh, my gosh. I've actually only watched a couple of episodes. Like, I haven't Oh, really? Finished. I've watched the whole thing. I know that you have. So <laughs> I haven't finished it yet. But I man, was sick and I watched it all. <laughs> it just makes me so happy to have another Tina Fey show in the yes. world. Don't yeah. you reckon? And that cast. So um, if you're in Australia, Girls 5 Ever is on stage. Yeah, um, and the stars are Sarah Bareilles, Renee Lee Scullsbury, Paula Bell, and Busy Phillips. Like, yeah. what a cast! Ridiculous, so good. I don't know how much you know Paula Bell, like her previous work. She's mostly um, she was a writer on Saturday Night Live for yes. like decades. Yes, and so she's a, a lot involved, mostly behind the set. Like, she's mostly a writer, but she's one of the funniest fucking people. Honestly, like, so hilarious. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those things where I'm so glad she's like 
doing on-screen stuff oh, more yeah. and more now because I, I just agree. think she's so funny. She's really perfect yeah. in that, like, ensemble. So, And then, of course, there's some great little, like, um, Broadway cameos because, yeah. of course, Tina Fey had, you know, just done Mean Girls on Broadway. So, like, when they flash back crossover. to the girls in the 90s, um, two of the Mean Girls girls were in it. So yeah. Ashley Park and actually Ashley Park's in it quite a bit because they have like a hologram of her. Yes. She's the character. Yeah, it's she very, died. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Erica Henningsen plays the young Paula Pell. Yeah. And, of course, they were both in the original Broadway cast of um, Mean Girls. So there's some fun like Broadway. It's so good. Yeah. 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 No, I really, really love it. Even Shane was like, oh, I love this. Yeah. Because, you know, um, you know, like I adore 30 Rock, but he really struggles with the character of Kenneth. And oh, so he really? doesn't like to watch 30 Rock again because he oh, hates Kenneth so much. Interesting. But he was like, okay, this is, I hate no one, so we can watch this. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, and, of course, Andrew Reynolds is in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Another Broadway favourite. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I saw Kenneth in Waitress on the West End. Yeah, that's so right. So random. It's so random. Yeah, whatever the actor's what is name is. Name? Yeah, I can never remember. But anyway. it's, it's got a, it's got like he's got an appropriate name for how he looks. Yeah. Um, but oh, that's funny. He doesn't like Kenneth. Yeah. And of course, Kimmy Schmidt. If you like any of Tina Fey's shows, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah it's, absolutely. It's that sort of show. Yeah. Um, you want to tell me about a show? Is it my turn first? It's your turn first. Oh my god! Can I tell you about the Scarlet Pimpernel? Oh yes, because you know what? I don't really know anything about this show. Don't you? I've never seen it on stage it's such a niche like category that really fits me very well I think yeah. like it, it's from the 90s it's a period piece like it's yeah, so like my it's based jam on a famous book it's so my jam yeah, like from I've top ne- to bottom I've never read the book I've never seen I wasn't going to ask you that question no actually. I didn't think you I would. assumed the answer would be no <laughs> <laughs> you're such a snob um and and uh, because you know it's not just one book you ignorant swine. Oh, great. You'll tell me about that, <laughs> I'll I'm sure. I'll tell you about it. And I know, like, a couple of the famous songs. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Yeah. Like, I don't know the cast, cast recordings very well or anything. Interesting. So let, tell me all about okay, it. Okay, I'm going to tell you. All right. The Scarlet Pimpernel. It's a 1997 book musical by Frank Wildhorn and Nan Knighton. It's based on the... Pre- Sorry, who's the second person? Nan Knighton. I've never heard of that person. Yeah, so this is... There's a reason why. She hasn't really done that much. Oh, okay, yeah. But I will tell you a bit about her. Yeah. Um, so The Scarlet Pimpernel is based primarily on one novel by Baroness Ortsy from 1905, <laughs> um, but she wrote like a whole series of novels about right. The Scarlet Pimpernel. Um I actually only ever interacted with the cast recording as a young theatre kid. Like I, I didn't really know anything about the show like I just loved the cast recording and I had read the book and there have been lots of like BBC adaptations like on the screen of the book so I've always like loved the story but um like so many of others I had this like I had a burnt copy of the recording and I just loved it like it was just delightful um it's a really traditional musical to listen to and I actually love like it's a bit of a romance and it's sort of like the superhero story and it's wrapped up in like period costumes. So it's just like it's my kryptonite really. Um, side note, yeah. is this our first Frank Wildhorn? Yes, it is, which is also one of my points. Yeah. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. I know. Um, okay, it wasn't actually until I started researching this and in depth, and I have seen the production to be fair, but it wasn't until I saw that production and then really dug deeper in the last couple of weeks that I realised actually this show is hilarious. Yeah, right. It is really, really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, it's actually quite a dark, like a dark subject matter 
but very funny. So it's a dark horse of a musical, I think. It doesn't get enough love and attention and I'd like to see it revived. Mm. Mm. Okay, you so the plot. You heard it here first, everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your interjections. Um, the plot. If you've read any of the Scarlet Pimpernel books or seen any of the many screen versions, you'll know the general story. Side note also, the books are excellent. Like they're proper like swashbuckling, like romancy sort of, just great. I highly recommend them. To be clear, there have been four versions of the book like of the book of the musical. Oh, okay. And the following plot is the current one you can license. It's known as the <laughs> Scarlet Pimpernel 4.0. That's a real Frank Wildhorn thing to just like change it completely, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That's totally his jam. <laughs> yeah. So this one, there are other plots out there of this, like that are slightly, things happen in a different order and other things don't happen, but this is what is current at the moment. So we meet this French actress. Her name is Marguerite Saint-Just and she's performing her very last show um, before she's marrying a wealthy English aristocrat. His name is Sir Percy Blakeney. She leaves France with her new husband and her, she brings her brother with her while this guy, Citizen Chauvelin, who is this fanatical French Republican revolutionary, executes a French aristocrat. Like this happens at the beginning of the show. Um Percy finds out that his wife worked for the revolutionaries and he vows to help the, in inverted commas, innocent rich people from the guillotine by becoming the fictional Scarlet Pimpernel. So like all of his friends in France are being murdered and he wants to help them out. So he becomes this like alter ego. He also enlists the help of his like rich friends to, to do this, to like save people from execution. So their whole shtick is to appear to be these self-obsessed fops who only care about fashion and entertainment and they're really like surface level while underneath that they're swashbuckling heroes who save all these people from the really awful reign of terror. Um, So the marriage between Percy and Marguerite becomes really strained because he thinks that she has betrayed them and he's hiding her his true identity from her as well. Um, she's really confused about how he's changed because she, like, married this nice dude and now suddenly he's, like, this really self-obsessed fop. Yeah, right. Yeah, so anyway, Chauvelin um, believes that the Scarlet Pimpernel is someone in Percy's circle, so it becomes clear that maybe this, he's something to do with it. So he comes, like, he contacts Marguerite and they used to be lovers tries to enlist her help and he blackmails her into helping him because he captures her brother and is threatening to have him executed. So Marguerite tries to get a message to the Scarlet Pimpernel that he is in danger and that she doesn't want to help Chauvelin and Percy finds out that she isn't betraying him, that actually like she doesn't even know that he's the Scarlet Pimpernel but she doesn't want the Scarlet Pimpernel to be harmed. So she gets a message to him. He's happy that he was mistaken about his wife. Meanwhile, Marguerite and her, and her brother are, like, imprisoned in France um, and Percy and his team go to rescue them. Eventually, Percy and Chauvelin duel and, in the end, Percy ties him up and frames him as the Scarlet Pimpernel. They escape, they live happily ever after, blah, blah, blah. Lots of shenanigans in the middle, like there's lots of mistaken identity stuff and, yeah. like, there's cool opportunities there. You can get the gist. Um, it's also, like, the most popular series of events in movies that are like, like what I just said, that plot is most often what is represented as the Scarlet Pimpernel, right? you know, um, when it's made into a TV show or whatever. So that's a pretty common storyline for the story. Um, it was a whole series of books, like I said, but the others are sort of like, they just get a bit dumb. So anyway, one of the main differences is that in the musical, there's a bit of this sexy Chauvelin thing. Like he's sort of like, 
you can see why Marguerite got all up in that. Right. Particularly when in the original cast, Terence Mann plays him. Oh, yes. So you can totally believe that Marguerite is like torn between these two men. That is definitely not the case in the books. Like he is a proper villain in the books. Yeah. That no one would want to get all up in. So anyway, plot done. Yes. Tick. Background. Okay, so this musical actually came at the heyday of Frank Wildhorn. Yeah. And by that I mean like a literal very small period of time. (laughs) (laughs) And we haven't talked about him yet and I think that's a bit of an oversight. Yeah. But did you know that it's actually really popular to be a Wildhorn basher? I mean, yeah. Like I always got the feeling that he's kind of like he's American, right? Yeah. I've always gotten the feeling that he was kind of like the American Lloyd Webber in exactly. a lot of ways. Exactly. Where it's like it's all like pop, poppy earworms. Yeah. But maybe there's not a lot of depth. Yeah. Compared to your sometimes and your, you yeah. know. Yeah. Which is, is exactly like Lloyd Webber, except he hasn't had as much success as Andrew yes, Lloyd Webber. Correct. But like people just love to hate him yeah. for that very, very reason. Yeah. Um, so I am actually a bit of a fangirl of Frank Wildhorn. He was always um, musical, like he taught himself to play piano and he began writing music at a really young age. He worked with a lot of pop stars before he wrote musicals. Yeah. So he like wrote songs for, I think he wrote like for, oh, there's a list. He That's how he met Linda Eater. Eater, yeah, who's um, incredible. Who is incredible. He actually wrote the number one hit for Whitney Houston, Where Do Broken Hearts Go? Oh, wow, yeah. So like he was a proper pop writer. Yeah. Um, then, interestingly, he collaborated with three different sets of people to create three musicals in really quick succession, like all within a really short space yeah. of time. Um, they were all on Broadway at the same time as well. That's right. So he had yeah. Jekyll and Hyde, The Scarlet Pimpernel and The Civil War all on. Oh, and Civil War did not do well, right? None of no. them did well, as oh, I will I tell thought, you. Okay, I yeah. thought. No. I thought Jacqueline Hyde did okay. Okay. Um, so he also wrote a bunch of other musicals that were all adapted from famous historical works. He definitely has a style that suits historical stories, I think, like there's lots of brass and it's really heavy dramatic uh, music, like high baritones, belty high mezzos. Yeah. Like it's a style. You've got to be into and, that. And, like, to be fair, like, that's not necessarily how people were writing then. No. You know what I mean? It like, totally wasn't. Yeah. And even now when we talk about historical sort of period pieces, that's still not how people are no. writing. So it, I think it's groundbreaking. Mm. Like it's very different when you think about Les Mis, the way that that is written, it's so different from Jacqueline Absolutely. Hyde or The Scarlet Pimpernel. Um, okay, so for The Scarlet Pimpernel, Frank Wildhorn was approached in 1989 by James Nederlander Sr., who owned oh, the yeah. rights to the novel at the time. Um, so he approached Frank Wildhorn and was like, do you want to write this musical? So he then teamed up with Nan Knighton, who is a poet, a playwright and a lyricist. She also wrote the stage adaptation of Saturday Night Fever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, they teamed up and this a workshop of the show started like pretty early. It featured Carolee Carmelo as Marguerite. Love. And in that development process, they also released a concept album, which is pretty popular at the he, time. And he, yeah, and that's a real him that's thing, a thing, right? That's right, yeah. totally. So the musical then premiered on Broadway at the Minskoff Theatre in October 1997. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was directed by Peter Hunt, H. Hunt and it starred Douglas Sills as Percy, Christine Andreas as Marguerite, Terence Mann as Chauvelin. So, like, a great cast. And also, am I right in thinking that the Minskoff is where Lion King has been since, like, 1998? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah, they got kicked out. Actually, no, 
after Scarlet Pimpernel, there was one other show okay. and then The Lion King, the I Lion believe. The Lion King, yeah, and, like, it's been there ever since. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what got in there after or, like, before Lion King. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll find it funny. Excellent. So that cast, right, was apparently, like, it was a grueling process, the casting process. Um, Douglas Sills talks about it. Apparently he went through about seven rounds of auditions for the lead role of Percy. Um, apparently they were really hoping to snag Kevin Klein for the role. Oh, interesting. Um, which was a huge mistake because Douglas Sills is excellent and also really sexy. Yeah. Um, okay, so the Broadway production received mixed reviews and it was slated to close in June 1998, just before the Tony Award announcements. Yeah. Um, but these like, okay, so... It got pretty shit reviews, right? But it had such a mad fan base. Yeah. Like a crazy fan and that's, base. I mean, that's always been the thing with Wildhorn, right? It's, yes. it's like people love his music. They love it. Yeah. So apparently, like, they fully banded together and got these, like, they brought in, like, angel investors. Wow. This is like a proper crowd sort of, like, yeah. not almost funded, but yeah, like but yeah. almost. So these angel investors came in, they rejigged the show, um, they replaced Terrence Mann and Christine Andreas. Oh. Yeah. With Rex Smith and Rachel York, and opened, Ooh. they reopened a year after the original opening. So it then closed in May 1999 and did a small tour. Then there was a third version that opened at the Neil Simon Theatre in September oh, 1999 wow. with a fresh cast, including Carolee Carmelo. And that one closed in January 2000 for a grand total of 772 performances and 39 previews. Across the various yeah, versions. Yeah, so I'm going to go into more detail about what that actually means, but. It technically didn't really close. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about that. So what's actually completely crazy about the process is that really since it opened in 1997, the show changed every single night. Like oh, my God. Like it was God. constantly changing. It's the only Broadway show that received such constant live rewrites. Yeah. In interviews, the cast um, of the time like talk about how difficult it was to rehearse one version in the day and then perform another version yeah. at night. Um, apparently like they talk about it all the time that there would be some nights where someone would just do a thing that was from the other version mm. and it would like completely throw the show out because yeah. the versions were so vastly different. Ugh. Like the order of songs was different and like there were yeah. different some different songs in different versions. Like it was fucking nuts, man. So even the move from the Minskoff to the Neil Simon was an unexpected problem because the Minskoff had been promised to Saturday Night Fever. Oh, right. And so they just got booted like... Yeah. And that would add a lot of stress too to a show. So part of the power behind the constant changes was the power of the fan base. Like producers originally were like, well, that's it. It's not very popular. We'll just close it. But the fans were so persistent mm. that the creators were like, okay, we'll just we'll keep trying to fix it. Like well, let's just fix it and we'll yeah. keep doing this and we'll try that. Um, in the time since, there's been a lot of discussion that's arisen over whether this is like the first Broadway musical to really galvanise a fan base in the way it did. Mm. And it was really like for context, it was very early internet days and the fans of the show were really vocal on a lot of forums. Right. Um, All so, that chat. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. The fans even pushed for another recording of like one of the subsequent casts. So it meant that there was a concept cast album, an original cast recording and like a 2.0 cast recording wow. because of the fans. Oh, my God. Which is pretty cool, I yeah. think. Yeah. Okay, so that. I feel for that original cast though. I know. Yeah, I love Terrence, man. It's, who doesn't? Yeah. So sexy. Okay, so the original 1.0 version was nominated for three Tony Awards. It was nominated for Best Musical, Best Book and Best Actor for Douglas Sills. It didn't win anything because that was the Lion King year. Right. Um, okay. 
also ragtime and sideshow like yeah big year and, and yeah. like we've talked about in that year most people thought ragtime was going to sweep that's it that's right yeah and so like ra- that's how strong ragtime is as a show like it honestly was supposed to beat lion king out like people yeah. talk about lion king but fucking ragtime man i know so good so side note, the 1998 Tony Awards were the first awards where women won the categories of Best Direction of a Play and Best Direction of a Musical. It's oh. the first time a woman has won either category and a woman won both, both. that year. wow. Yeah, so side note. Love it. Okay, so I mentioned that Jekyll and Hyde, The Civil War and The Scarlet Pimpernel were running on Broadway at the same time. They all closed without making a profit and the total loss altogether is close to $20 million. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Not I mean, good times. in uh, 2021 terms, not not so insane. No, like, you no. know, but for then, a lot of a money. Lot, yeah. I, for some reason, I had thought that Jekyll and Hyde had done okay. No. But... And I, I imagine subsequently it's fine. Like, I imagine the licensing of it now and, like, it's it's definitely it got a life. A lot, yeah. yeah, it gets done a lot. But no, that original run was not successful. Yeah. So, okay, so after the Broadway run eventually closed, it had a US national tour and it's had many international productions, including like in Germany and Finland, the Netherlands, UK, Ireland, Sweden, Canada, etc. Lots. None in Australia though. Like there's never no, been done professionally. No in professional, Australia. no. Right. Mm. Um, the Scarlet Pimpernel had a Lincoln Center concert production in 2019. Oh yes. That's had Tony Yazbek, Norm Lewis, Alex Newell. Amazing. And Drew Gelling, among many others. Oh, love. I know. What a cast. It is incredibly popular amongst amateur musical societies because it has a huge cast, but it's also like a giant production. Yeah. There are so many costumes and characters and settings. Like it's a big undertaking. Yeah. Like most wild horn shows. And it's like based on a historic, you know, like everyone knows the name, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Like you would go to see that. Yeah. It's also fucking funny, man. I just cannot stress that enough. That's awesome. Okay, so as I mentioned, there are a lot of recordings. Um, the only one on Spotify is the original Broadway cast, but you can listen to the original concept album on YouTube. That stars Linda Ida and Chuck Wagner. Oh, Chuck Wagner from Into the Woods. From, yeah, he was Rapunzel's prince in Into the Woods. Um, side note too, Frank Wildhorn was married to Linda Ida from yes. 1998 to 2004. Very large side note. And... Um... Just if you don't know Linda Eda's oh, stuff, God. go and listen to some of her solo albums yeah. and she just has like the the lungs of like steel, yeah, right? Her like, voice, man. It's and insane. it's such an interesting tone too. Yeah. yeah she's got a great she's instrument. So good. Um okay. I just want to talk a little bit about the historical period. So okay. I am by no means any sort of buff of anything, particularly a French history buff, but I do find this period of time really interesting. So the musical is set during the Reign of Terror, which is a period of the French Revolution marked by many public executions and a series of massacres. It's when, like, essentially the poor people overthrew the aristocracy. Am I right? Well, that, I mean, that was sort of the entirety of the revolution. Yeah. But this particular period of time is more like um, they – it was like they had, like, committees that were so militant and and murderous that – what was generally the government at the time was just murdering people, like wholesale right. murder. So it wasn't like the poor people rising up and killing rich people in this period of time. Okay. It was a lot less. Is Marie Antoinette like around this time? Yeah, a little before. So that okay. that's like the start of the okay. of the revolution yeah. when they're um, – but as you know, like 
there's been lots of different like moments in the re- in the French yes. Revolution. It took it took a long time. I don't really know that, but I appreciate that you think I would know that. Well, like for example, in Les Mis, it's a whole different yes. sort of period yeah. of the revolution. Yeah, yeah, Do you know absolutely. What I, mean? I, we, I I should know more. I don't. I'm not, um, I'm not a history person. Once again, I'm also not a buff at this, so I could be saying something that is wrong, but that is my <laughs> understanding of it anyway. So this is definitely the most violent period of the revolution, and that's saying a lot because it's a long revolution. Yeah. It's generally believed to have lasted for a year only. Right. Um, I find it interesting that the musical and the original book posits that the Reign of Terror was just unilaterally bad. So the argument in The Scarlet Pimpernel is like you just can't, just can't kill people like this. But some historical scholars argue that it was just a, a necessary evil to, right. to like, preserve the revolution. Um, for sure, like, the historical figures involved were definitely misguided. It's something like 17,000 people were just murdered. Oh, my God. During that period of time. So, like, I'm not saying that the reign of terror was a good thing. <laughs> definitely not. But, like, it's part of the, the way that the revolution played out and maybe we wouldn't have had the revolution that they did. Anyway, of course, my only issue with the Scarlet Pimpernel is that he was focused on saving rich aristocratic victims of the reign of terror. Like there is no mention of like just saving all the other people who were murdered. Right. Okay. Yeah. I suppose better. Some people were saved than none, I suppose. But like, also, am I expecting that some fictional character is making good decisions? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't real. All, there is a lot of conjecture about, like, was this okay, a real character? Yeah. He's not real. He's okay. just, it's just a story. It's just a story. It's just a story. Except for the Reign of Terror thing. That is not a story. That no, is real. That is also, real. why is this a comedy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. In some versions, the literal opening of the show is a song called Madame Guillotine, like, and someone is killed in the song. Right. So, like, but, yeah, it's hilarious. It is actually very <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Um, okay, so some gateway songs. Look, I actually love the album so much, but like I've said, it doesn't communicate how funny the script is. Like if you listen to the songs, you would not know that this is a musical comedy. Yeah, right. You would have no idea. Of yeah, because the they're quite like it's very serious. Anthemic and, yeah. yeah, and it feels like, oh, yeah, this is a really serious sort of like everyone's taking everything seriously. No, that is not the show at all. Yeah. Like it is very funny. Um, and given what I've just said about The Reign of Terror, obviously that does sound very bad. <laughs> Um, you just don't get that on the recording. You don't get the humour. But anyway, I think you should start your listening with Madame Guillotine. It's such a good ensemble number, man. Okay, yeah. Oh, God, it's good. Do you know the song? No. <gasps> I think it's the best number of the show. Okay, I'll listen to it for Okay, you. yeah, but it's, it's definitely the best ensemble number, like in one of the best ensemble numbers in musical theatre. Okay, wow. Yeah. I, so after that, have a listen to Falcon in the Dive. It's a really great like Javert-esque vibe from yep. Chauvelin. I think I've heard that one. There's that sort of like sense of him being a bit like Javert um, and Terrence Mann sings the shit out of it. Yeah. Then there's a really famous duet called You Are My Home, which is sung between Marguerite and her brother. Um, it's a it's a really pretty song and it was a pop hit in the 90s. It's also maybe slightly strange because the music sounds like it's a romantic love song. Right. But it's also nice to have a sibling duet, yeah, that's I think. Yeah, nice, yeah. And it's, it isn't gross in what they're saying. It just sounds like this is a love duet. Yeah, but whatever. Uh, it's still not aspects of love, so that's the main thing. <laughs> it's, um, it's Into the Fire that I've heard a lot, right? Yeah, Into the Fire is like where um, – like Percy and his band of merry men decide to really let's do this, like let's be the Scarlet Pimpernel and his men. Yeah. And that's a really good um, piece for like a group of men. And Yeah. You've got to have like the the guy who plays Percy has got to be pretty 
pretty fucking talented. Yeah. Like he's got to be an incredible comedic actor. Like he's got to have great timing, but also the songs are tough. Right. Like we're talking not a tenor, but a really high consistent baritone. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And you've got to be sexy. You've got to be charming. You've got to be a bit dashing. Like you've got to be, yeah. Yeah. It's a tough role. Yeah, yeah. In fact, like they all are. Like it's it's a bit like Jekyll and Hyde in that it's asking a lot of the actors. Yep. But, like, I've seen – I saw an amateur production of it that I just loved. Like, it was yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. Our friend Zach was in that production. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was It was. He just was a, quite young, right? He played, he played, did he play the brother? Yeah, that, he yeah. was quite young. And the guy who played um, the Scarlet Pimpernel was quite a bit older, older than what you would normally play him, but he's excellent. Okay. I, I was in another production with him at another time. Right. But, um, he was very, very good and just the right sort of, of blend of like foppish but also could be a bit of a dashing hero. Yeah, yeah. So like one of my favourite um, adaptations of it is, I can't even remember if it's BBC, but it's like a mini series and it stars Richard E. Grant mm. as the Scarlet Pimpernel. Okay. And if you know who that actor is. I love Richard E. Grant. Yeah, that is what he's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I think, you know, what's the name of the mother from Downton Abbey? Elizabeth. Oh, um, I haven't watched Downton Abbey. Elizabeth McGovern, I think her okay. name is. She plays Marguerite. Okay. But it's really good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Awesome. And that's the Scarlet Pimpernel. I love it. Yeah. It sounds like it was one of those ones where it's like, oh, that was, this was a nice surprise kind yeah. of thing. Not something you're going to like obsess over. No, I think you're right. I think, although I will say, because I went on to Broadway World as I do, and the fans are fanatic fanatic and i think it, it part of it is probably that some people are really anti it some people are like what scott pimpernel frank wild one fuck yeah. off so i think the fans get even more keen yes, in that way absolutely but it does deserve i think a lot more attention than what it gets okay i do believe that and i would love to see a revival where we could maybe sort out all the f- the four versions of the show yeah. and figure out what to do about that I, yeah it's a bizarre thing the way because Jekyll and Hyde's a bit the same. Yes. Well, there's so many, like, yeah, weird versions and is this song in this version and. Yeah, like Bring On The Men, which is like one of my favourite songs in musical theatre, yeah. is not in it anymore. That's right. Yeah. Which is just fascinating. But, like, I think I, I think about the actors often and how hard it would be to do, like, do a show in the night and then not be rehearsing that show in the day, be yeah. rehearsing a totally different that show. That is so weird. Yeah. That would be so confusing. Especially if it's a big show. Like it's a big show. It is, it's a yeah. hard show for those leads. And, like, you've got – apparently there were even some character choices that were changed. Oh. So, like, Douglas Sills would talk about how some of his intentions in rehearsals had changed to what they would then – he would have to play it at night. Oh. And that would fuck with your head. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, anyway. I'd love to see it, actually. I, I think I yeah. was – I don't think I could see that – Amateur production that yeah, our friends' acquisition. Yeah, I wonder where you were. I can't remember yeah, what year I might, it was. I might have been doing my HSC or something like that, but it was there was some reason I couldn't was it that, say it. Was it that long ago? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I didn't think it was that long yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Zach played. He was a he was a he oh, was like fifteen or something, fourteen Jeez. or fifteen, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I think I might have been doing my HSC, and that was the reason I couldn't see it. That would be right. You yeah. Nerd. So <laughs> such a nerd <laughs> of the two of us. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Josephine's slightly more studious than I am. Slightly. <laughs> Do you want to tell me about a musical? Yeah. So today, bit of a bit of a departure, really. Oh, okay. You can't get so much it's not more the producers. Different. It's not the producers. Okay. I'm going to talk to you about Come From Away. Oh. And normally I would ask Josephine's opinion straight up. You know, but want I to? want to preface this by saying that Josephine and I are seeing this show in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So we are going to talk about it now. I am going to ask Josephine's opinion, but I am also going to make her talk about it once we've seen the show. Okay. Because I personally 
think you're going to change your mind after you say that. I actually think I will too. Yeah. Because from what I know about the show, I think you have to see it. Yes. And, and yes. like what I know is that I don't like You don't listening. like the music, right? I don't like listening to the yeah. cast recording. Yeah. I don't like the music. And I don't like the accents. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually think that more than a lot of shows we've talked about on the podcast, you do get so much more out of this show seeing it and not just listening to it. Um. And the things that I love about this show, and I'll go into it more, kind of have nothing to do with the music. Yeah, right. right. I love how it's constructed. Yeah. And I love the story that it's based on, right? Do you, okay, I'm going to say something that is probably really awful. Do you ever, do you not get some 9-11 fatigue? Oh, that's an interesting one. I think I don't because, like, I don't know about you, but I've been fascinated by it my entire life. So I don't think I get fatigue from it because I just, it's, it was one of those moments that the world changed. Yeah. Well, I think that's why is that like we lived through something pretty significant and I'm, I'm just so exhausted. So what I think is wonderful about this show is that it took one of the only happy stories to come out of 9-11. What upsets me is that, and I'm sure an American audience would feel very differently about this, but I never knew this story. Yeah. Like this was not sort of a narrative that we heard. I knew it. Before the show came out, I had read it on one of those viral Facebook yeah, posts. Right. Yeah. It was one of those ones that would go around every now and then and be like, here's this story you've never heard about yeah. 9-11. But that was it. Yeah. Literally like a paragraph on Facebook that would go viral every yeah. now and then and that was it. But, yeah, it's a it's a funny one. It so, is like a beautiful concept. Like yes. you couldn't write a fictional story more no, beautiful than no, this. Do you exactly, know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I just – it was such a wonderful – surprise when I first saw it because mm. before the show opened on Broadway, everyone was like, there's this 9-11 musical happening. And again, I think a lot of people had that reaction that you're talking about where it's like, are we really making a musical about 9-11? Yeah, like, like I don't was... know if I can do this. And then, I, you know. That's I'm... honestly how I feel. Like I don't even, I'm even reluctant to go see it because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to sing about yeah, this I actually time. Like I don't kind wanna... of can't wait for you to see it because yeah. I, I really think you're going to have quite a visceral reaction to yeah, it. Okay. And I think you're really going to, um, I think you're really going to appreciate the way it's been constructed. Cool. And even just like, like literally like the drama teacher part of you will be like, oh, this is like such a well-crafted piece of theatre. Great. So I'm, I, I'm, I can't I'm really wait. excited. I also think Shane's going to love it. Yeah, good. I'm really excited He's for really both pumped of you to too. see it. Yeah. Great. So I have now, I saw it, I saw it in New York. I think I saw it maybe in previews or like soon after it opened, like it was early in the run. Really? Yeah. Um, I've since seen it in both London and in Melbourne. So I've done my nerdy like trifecta where I yes. see it in all the different places. Lisa. Um, I'd also like to thank our friend Marnie, who is a come from away super fan. And she sent me like a bunch of notes and facts and stuff like this that I like kind of checked my stuff against. Yes. And yeah, she's like in, she's in Facebook groups. She's gone yeah, to all she's different things. She's on. like a super fan. Yeah. So big thanks to her. So <laughs> I'm going to sort of talk a little bit about the production history as part of the synopsis because it's kind of all intertwined in this show being based on a true story. Yeah, nice. So book music and lyrics by Irene Sankoff and David Hine. So they are a Canadian married couple. Yeah. And they only ever had one show previous to Come From Away. It was a show based on David Hine's real life called My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding. <laughs> and essentially it was like a fringe show, like at Toronto Fringe. Yeah, nice. And it just did really well at the Fringe and it ended up having a commercial run in Toronto. Love it. So that was like kind of how their careers 
got started. Cool. Right? So God, to um, go from that to come from away is yeah, a big right? wow. And and quite a bit before as well. Like the, the the sort of incubation period of this show was a little while as well. So yeah, wow. I also just I think everyone knows what we're referring to when we say 9-11, but we're referring to the terrorist attacks that happened in New York City and in other parts of um of America on September eleventh, two thousand and one. Yeah. That was a you know plane hijacking, etc. Um so basically, yeah, I think everyone knows what we're talking about, but I just want to establish that. Yes. So a producer had had the idea that the events, like, of the day surrounding 9-11 that took place in Gander, Newfoundland, would make a good show. And I'll talk a bit more about Gander uh, in a bit, but basically that's what the show is about, that that place and what happened there in the days surrounding 9-11. So this producer approached Sankoff and Hine and they were able to get a government grant to attend the 10th anniversary kind of events that were taking place in Gander in 2011. Nice. Um, and while they were there, they interviewed over 600 people, which became the basis for this show. So is it really just like verbatim theatre? Essentially. Oh, cool. Yeah. So every every character that's in it is based on a real person. Yeah, nice. Um, most, basically all of the events are based on real events. Mm. And what uh, so many of the actors have talked about when they then met the people that the characters are based on and they would start to tell the story, it was like they were quoting lyrics from the show because yeah, they really took it was their words. these interviews. And because, you know, you know when someone has a story, they tend to tell it the yeah, same you, way yeah, each time. Yeah, that's right, particularly after 10 years exactly. of telling it. Yeah. So, like, literally it was kind of like this weird thing where it was like lyrics of the show were being quoted at yeah, them. Nice. Like it, yeah, very bizarre. So I'll pivot to, to, the show's actual, um, to the show's actual plot. So, yeah, as I said, on September 11, 2001, there was a series of terrorist attacks focused on New York city and washington dc consequently the airspace above the united states was completely closed and i think that was like one of the first times ever if not the first time ever that that has happened yes um and thousands of flights that were already in the air were diverted and told to land as soon as possible so newfoundland in canada is essentially the easternmost land area in North America before you are in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean um, on the way to Europe, basically. So Mm. back before we had proper jumbo jets, Gander Airport in Newfoundland was one of the biggest airports in North America because planes had to stop there to refuel before crossing the Atlantic to Europe. So it was like this massive airport, but then, of course... In a tiny town, right? Yeah, like a a not very big city. (laughs) And so, of course, nowadays planes can make it across fine, right? Like that's not an issue. So there's kind of this massive airport with very little flight traffic. (laughs) And my understanding of like when they diverted all the planes that day, they didn't want them to divert to major cities because it was like, uh, what if they're targeting Toronto next? What if they're targeting, like they just didn't know. So I think Halifax got the most in in Canada and then like Gander was second to them. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, on 9-11, like all these planes that were coming from Europe to North America like a huge amount of them get diverted to Gander in Newfoundland, right? Yeah. In total, 38 wide-body aeroplanes were diverted there, which is 7,000 passengers. Whoa! Now, keep in mind that Gander at this time has a population of about 9,500. So it was essentially almost doubling the entire town. That's crazy. Right? So... Um, the show then essentially tells the story of those planes being diverted to Gander and then the plane people or the come from away, so that's sort of what they call them, yeah. um, then being stuck in, in Newfoundland for the next three days um, because the airspace is closed. Um, they're stuck there until it's reopened and 
it's basically what happens in those three days before they're able to fly back home and to their various places. Um, so it's an ensemble cast of 12 and they all play several characters each in the show. Nice. And, like, there's truly no lead performers in the show. Like, there's no... I do love a proper ensemble it cast. It is, like, such a proper... Almost more than any other show that I'm aware of, it is a proper ensemble cast. But there is cast. a lead, right? Like, the the main... Um, the woman... You're, so you're thinking of um, Jen Colella's character, Beverly Bass? Yeah, but the pilot, right? Yeah, so no... She has that one song. It's one of the only – there are only two standalone songs in the show. Yeah. And, yes, that's the one that is probably the most showy, so it gets done a lot. But, no, I would oh. not call her the main character. Interesting. Like, um, I guess it's a standout moment because that's kind of a great standalone song. No, it's but, not. <laughs> yes, you don't like that song. Okay. I think it's a great song. <laughs> um, but I will say that I think that that only, st- like, stands out because it's one of the only standalone songs. Yeah, right, the rest of it are all ensemble numbers. Yeah. So, like, even she plays other characters in the show. Yeah, that is not my – that was not my impression of it. Yeah. So, like, because, okay. for example, like – Jen Colella, when she auditioned for the part, she's told this story in a few interviews because she's, say, like in her maybe in her late 30s now, something like that, or early 40s, but the character she's playing is 51 yeah, or or like in her 50s kind of thing. And so when she auditioned for the part, she was kind of like, why they keep bringing me in for mm, this person for this in their 50s person, yeah. kind of thing. I guess it's just to compare me to other people or whatever. But clearly and then they just sort of kept calling her back things, and she was like, yeah. oh. And then she sort of realised, oh, they're going a bit of a different direction with this kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, it's – um. Cool. So, yeah, she plays several characters as well. Nice. Um. But, yeah, so – uh, so there were several workshops to begin with, including at the NAMT, National Alliance for Musical Theatre, who presented it in 2013. And that's kind of how, like – Broadway producers became involved. Like that's that's like a showcase thing where, you know, producers come and see it and stuff. It then had many out-of-town productions before making its Broadway, all in fairly quick succession. I'll talk about them. So La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego in May to July 2015. It then goes to the Seattle Repertory Theatre, November to December 2015. Washington, D.C. Ford's Theatre, September to October 2016. They then take the show... To the Steel Community Centre in Gander. Oh, that's nice. And do it, like, for, like, the crowd of Newfoundland. I do love that. Yeah, they sort of knew that they had a little pocket of time before coming in to their sort of final, like, before they were going to Broadway and they were like, well, we have to take it to Newfoundland kind of thing. So they sort of restaged it as, like, a almost a concert version and did it in a massive, like, I think that's literally like the ice hockey rink. Like, yeah, nice. <laughs> like, they did it like that. So that was in, it was like a one-night-only concert version, October 2016 they then did a season in toronto of course like it's canadian etc from november 2016 to january 2017 and then it starts previews um on broadway at the gerald schoenfeld theater february 18th 2017 um it was running until the COVID shutdown last year. Yeah. It is due to resume performances on september 24th 2001. Wow. Very exciting. So um, but yes, was still doing very well on Broadway, etc. So nominated for seven Tonys at the 2017 Tonys, but won only one, which was for Best Director, which I do think was very well deserved. Yeah, right. Um, we've mentioned the 2017 season a few times uh, on the podcast, 
But for Best Musical, it was up against Dear Evan Hansen, which won yeah. a lot that year, Groundhog Day and, and um, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Such a strong year. Yeah. Um, lots of people felt it was robbed when Dear yeah. Evan Hansen won. Like I have to say it was definitely between those two shows yeah. for Best Musical and there was a real groundswell of support mm. for um, Come From Away mm. and I think that, yeah, there's still kind of a bit of a bone of contention within the Broadway community mm. as to which show should have won Best Musical that year. What would be your pick? I think that um, I do think that Dear Evan Hansen was a really special. I still probably would have picked Dear Evan Hansen. Mm. I, I like. Here's the thing, Dear Evan Hansen. Yes, the message isn't great, yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's what a lot of people have sort of realised in the years since. But I do think it is quite a special piece of theatre as well. Side note that uh, film, uh, the trailer, the yes, trailer came out. The, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Tra- trailer i mean look i'm it looks good the film i it think ben good. platt actually like for all looks the memes young. actually looks young yeah yeah anyway sorry. um so the musical then ran at, it did like a sort of pre-season at the abbey theater in dublin ireland hmm. from 2018 december 2018 to january 2019 before transferring to the phoenix theater in london's west end where it started performances january 30th 2019 again it ran there until being shut down by covid um, it is due to reopen on the West End July 22nd of this year, which is exciting. Great. Um, so in London it was nominated for nine Olivier Awards in 2019 oh, wow. and won four. So Best New Musical, Outstanding Achievement in Music. I think that's kind of like Best Score there. It's random. It's mm, a weird one. They call them slightly different things. Best Sound Design and Best Theatre Choreographer. Oh, cool. Uh, the Australian production... Opened in Melbourne in July 2019. Yes. It was due to do a tour of China before coming to Sydney. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but had like basically was put on hold due to COVID. It has since reopened in Melbourne. And by the time this episode comes out, it will have started performances in Sydney. And that is where Josephine and, and we I will are be seeing going it in a to couple of weeks. Yeah. Yes. Um, and also I think Josephine mentioned in our last episode, but the show has been professionally filmed yes. and picked up for distribution by Apple to be released in September for the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The cast appears, although it hasn't been announced like properly, the cast appears to mostly be the original Broadway yeah, cast. That's like, the assumption. Yeah. yeah like that. Cause for example, Jen Colella had left yeah. before COVID hit, but I think she's come back to do the filming. Yeah. That's what most people have said. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Um, and it was actually originally planned to be made into a feature film, mm. not, not like the, filming the stage production, but the pl- that plan was um, switched during COVID. Yeah. I'm actually really glad they're filming this production. Surely that would be as a result of how successful Hamilton was. I think so. And also I also wonder if it's just, yeah, like that's right, like so like the filming of a stage show. It would also just be a lot cheaper just to film a stage show yeah. and release that. But I also just think like there would have had to be so much reworking done to oh, make yeah. it into a real film. Particularly if the magic of the show is is mainly in the way that it's structured and I the staging so. of it. I think if so. If that is the case. If you aren't lying to me. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm, I'll be so disappointed if we come back on in a few weeks and like. And I'm like, eh. And you're like, yeah, it was. Yeah, I've seen. I actually already know that I'm going to love it. Like Mm. I will have an epiphany. It's just such a shame that there are some musicals that listening to them just doesn't do them justice. No, it's true. And look, here's the thing. I'm sure I'll talk about this a bit more, but like I don't think the music is what you're going to love ever. Yeah. Um, But I just think you're going to really appreciate lots of other things about it. And that will, yeah. I love that. Um, So a few fun facts. So the the set has real trees on it, right? Real trees? Yes. Um, As part (laughs) of sort of, because it's like just one set the whole time. It's very simple. It's a one act show. It's an hour and 40 minutes. Love (gasps) it. You're speaking my language. (laughs) You'd love that. Um, But when they moved the trees, like, so they got these real trees as part of the set. Like in a pot? Yeah, well, um, so they didn't have roots, right? They've like been 
chopped down or whatever. Huh. But once the um, like with like the warm lights of the um, of yeah, like the, the stage, st- the yeah. stage and stuff. Apparently, like on Broadway, like some of them actually started growing leaves while it was like in that in- initial early stage, like because you sort of wow. stop them halfway through their like life cycle. Or yeah, whatever. But yeah, yeah, that kind of like oh wow, yeah, isn't that amazing? Jeez. Um, I also want to talk about Kelly Devine, the choreographer, for a second because what you sort of need to know about this cast, and it's actually one of the things I really love about them, um, particularly like that original Broadway cast, because lots of them are still with the show, hmm. like three years later or whatever. It's an inc- it's not the sort of cast you normally see on a Broadway show. And I mean that in terms of like the age diversity, yeah. size diversity. Great. Like it's very much just – People. People who look like normal people, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so um, what the choreographer didn't quite realise when she turned up to the first day of rehearsals was that they're not dancers, Mm. right? And so she had like the whole show sort of plotted out and then she started teaching it was like, fuck, no one could dance. (laughs) And she literally kind of left the studio, sat outside, had a bit of a breakdown and then was like, I've got to rethink the entire show. And she now though like – the way she reworked it was just through a lot of like natural movement Mm. and just like the way that people would sort of naturally respond to the rhythms and stuff like that. And she actually thinks it's the best thing that could have ever happened. Wow. And it, and, and instead now she feels like it focuses so much more on like the staging and character Mm. and all, and all that sort of thing. But yeah, it's an interesting one where of course, I guess she'd be someone who's used to walking into a Broadway yeah, and everyone's got their core shoes on and, and they can just do yeah, the dances. And it, that's just not who these people were, right? Yeah. And uh, I was actually talking about it with Marnie and I was like, I guess they never had – they probably didn't have to do a movement call because that's not what they were looking for, it's you not know? not the show. Yeah. So it's even amazing to me that they had a choreographer who would have, like, had dancers. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. <laughs> um, and they mention it in the show, but Gander in Newfoundland is the only other place – besides the 9-11 memorial um, that holds a piece of the original World Trade Centre. Wow. Yeah, so they, like, have some that piece that they keep in Gander. Wow. And that got presented to them at that 10th anniversary. That's nice. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so a few things I want to talk about. So verbatim theatre, yeah. Josephine mentioned before, but the two biggest inspirations for this show were the Laramie Project. Yeah. Which is a, a very famous a piece famous of verbatim theatre. Probably the most famous piece I would of verbatim so, yes. theatre. Yeah. Um, Based on the, Matthew Shepard's Yeah, um, the death of Matthew, the murder of Matthew Shepard um, in Laramie in Wyoming. God, I think it's... 1993, 94? Fuck, it's a long time ago anyway. It's definitely in the 90s. Mm. Um, and this um, group called the Tectonic Theatre Project, they went there and... Like really quite soon after it happened, I think, interviewed like a bunch of people in the town and used their real interviews to turn it into a theatre piece basically. And it is quite – and there's a film. I've seen the film, I'm sure. Yeah, there is a film, yeah. Um, And it's a very good – it's a very good um, piece of theatre. So that is one of the the biggest inspirations. And you can tell that. Like I remember walking out and going like, oh, it is like watching – a verbatim piece of verbatim theatre, but a musical. Like it's kind of a bizarre. Matthew Shepard was murdered in 1998. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. um, I think it was the, there was an anniversary. I was thinking it was 25th, but no, it must have just been something not that long ago. Mm. Um, and then the other main theatre piece that inspired it, inspires it is the play Six Degrees of Separation. Yeah. And the thing that is in, takes its inspiration from that is basically that in this show, the fourth wall is broken a lot in terms of they're sort of telling you the story of what happened, right? Yeah. And so that's sort of what it takes from, right? Nice. There's a lot of that in it. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, so essentially all the characters in the show are based on real people. I mentioned that before and are often taken verbatim from the interviews conducted with them. And this has also led to all the real people kind of becoming mini celebrities in their own right, nice. in a way, like in in like a very niche, small way, right? So they often travel to the show openings and, and things That's like so that. That's so cute. Yeah, and, um, and so like I remember Marnie telling me. It's like me, a chorus line. Yeah, yeah, it is like that. So mm. I remember Marnie telling me like because she was sort of around – early in that preview period in Melbourne and she she's like, oh, I spotted this person, this person. She got to meet a bunch of them. Wow. And, she yeah. is such a loser. I, no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, and this is especially the case with Beverly Bass, who we talked about. So um, the song Me in the Sky is about her and Jen Colella plays her. So she was the first ever female captain for American Airlines and basically after Sankoff and Hine interviewed her, they almost wrote an entire show about her. You could. She was such That's what I thought they did. fucking groundbreaking, <laughs> like, person. Yeah. And I imagine that the part of the reason that uh, – well, she would already have a bit of, like, I guess, um, press experience and stuff like that, but also just – she could fly anywhere. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if you've been a captain for American Airlines, she just go standby wherever, you know? That's like, so, true. so yeah, I think that's partly why. Um, but yeah, she pops up all the time in like interviews nice. and like press and stuff like that. Um, they also, the, the writers originally envisioned the show as a play and not a musical, like mm. when they were sort of first traveled to Gander. But then the thing that really changed their minds is that, the music of Newfoundland mm. is quite specific. Yeah. And so once they got to Gander and there was all these, like, all this traditional music being played, they were like, oh, this has got to be in the show yeah. kind of thing. So the music is um, very simple and I think that that's one of the things that, like, when, like, Josephine probably isn't reacting to. Because, for example, like, my husband Andrew's exactly the same. Like, yeah. he's just like I – th- and I think that's probably particularly true of the lyrics. Yeah. I think oh, the, the lyrics The, the lyrics me. are quite like, basic, how do you like you me will. in the sky when it just li- – it's literally like <laughs> – uh, anyway. <laughs> um, but what – so it is very simple, but that is also partly by design. So, yeah. like, it's incredibly influenced by the traditional Newfoundland music, which is very Celtic. If you imagine, like, yes. they're almost to Ireland, right? Like, yeah. they're halfway across the Atlantic, almost to Ireland. So it is not traditional musical theatre at all mm. in that sense, but it does work very well for this show. I also want to mention what the show is orchestrated for because I think you'll love this. Ready. So there's the conductor who plays harmonium, accordion, 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 <laughs> accordion. harmonium, accordion and keyboard. So then specific. flute. This player plays flute, high whistle, low whistle, and Yulian pipes, <laughs> drums, percussion, a uh, bodran, which is oh, also a type of drum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and that's like, that guy's like a bodran expert. You have to be, yeah. Um, then there's a guitar, guitar one, um, sort of normal guitar. Guitar two plays like bazooki, a mandolin, like all like steel yes. string, all those sorts of guitars. Then there's like a, a bass player who plays fretless and acoustic and then a, a violin and, and like a kind of feel like differently tuned violin. Wow. Yeah, but it's like. That's cool. And I have to say so like it's like the show ends and in, and what was supposed to be playoff music, you end up just watching the band do. Yes. Because they're so dynamic. they're obviously such great musicians. Yeah, and yeah. so like it's so funny because they basically get their own kind of ovation That's at the nice. end in what was supposed to be playoff music. Yeah, you know? cool. Yeah, so it's really great. I really like that about there it. There is something too about watching a musician like 
pick up an instrument, play it, then pick up a different instrument yes, and play it. Yeah. I do like that. And also the way that um, that kind of Celtic music is so, like, in your body. Yeah, it's very kind jaunty. Of thing. Like, and, yeah. If someone's, like, playing a fiddle or, like, whatever, it's all kind of, yeah. I mean, the cause man. Absolutely. <laughs> a massive cause fan right here. <laughs> yeah. And then I also just wanted to ask, where were you on 9-11? What do you remember about it? Yeah, I remember it vividly, obviously. I was living in a house in Lake Mamora. Um, my brother woke me up really early because we used to watch like cheese TV. So yeah. we um, wanted to watch the cartoons, but the cartoons weren't on. So we watched, I had no idea what it meant at first. We watched the news coverage of it. We woke mum and dad up and then had to go to school. And I remember that day at school was just like everyone was in a fog. It was just like this fog of what is happening in the world. And you would have been in like year seven, am I I was right? in year seven. Yeah. 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 Where, where were you? I was in, So I was in year nine. I remember I didn't find out. Mum and dad, I think, specifically didn't tell me. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, like no, we, ma- we told mum and dad. Made the conscious effort not to tell me. <laughs> and then people, I got to the train station on my way to school and people were talking about it. Yeah. And then I kind of didn't really know what was happening. But then I mostly remember that we were doing a drama performance at school that day and um, one of the one of our friends was American mm. and we were like, is he going to be able to perform? Like it was this whole kind of like mm. – and then – we finished really early because it was a drama performance day. So we ended up going to the Imperial Centre in Gosford and, yeah. like, watching the news. on All yeah. the TVs were on. They had all these TVs. Yeah. And they all had the volume up. It was up. everywhere. Yeah. I, I just remember, like, the next couple of years, I suppose, of just being – that was all we talked about. Yeah. All the time. All the time. And everything changed. Yeah. And, like, our rhetoric changed. I, I remember a really obvious shift in our discourse at well, the like, time. I don't think I would have known the word terrorist before that, well, really. it actually didn't really exist. No. Like, like the, a lot of the language around after 9-11 didn't exist. Yeah. I edited um, a PhD written by my sister, <laughs> literally about this topic, just yeah. about the discourse around terrorism as yeah. a result of 9-11 and particularly the way that Australia reacted to it because that was the John Howard era. Mm. So it's very fascinating Sending to me. Sending troops to Afghanistan and stuff. Yeah, just all, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, it, I, re- I particularly remember friends of mine, like I had this friend who was South African and she had moved at a quite a young age after a lot of violence in South Africa and she was beside herself that day, just beside herself. Right. And I just remember thinking like, what? why are you upset? Like it's so far away. Like what's, yeah. Yeah. And mm. it really did. It really did change the world. And it changed the world, and yeah. Then, and we were still fairly young when you think totally, about it. Like yeah. what, 11 and 13 or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just not, and yet it still was such an indelible part of our like, lives yeah. like I still and yeah like I've watched so many docos Gosh, and so I've many been to docos. that museum to the, that's yeah, there now the museum. And, and stuff but yeah it's uh I, I I am in a way though I think and I think that you'll find this too it was quite cathartic watching this show because when they do talk about different moments of release and stuff yeah. like that I think you'll still feel those nice I think Shane even like, more so because he was older because he was an adult yeah. yeah I've not quite yes he was an adult um <laughs> I feel that's why I feel a little conflicted too about ordinary days. Like I feel, and I feel like yeah, that is quite, the Adam Guan show. Yeah, yeah, like it. It just, I don't know. It's something that's still like a collect, such a collective experience that we had that was just so traumatic. I think mm. that like 
Yeah, the idea of attending a musical about it is is upsetting to me. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, interesting. I'll remain open minded. Yes, anyway, as much as I am capable of. <laughs> so I'm a, I've actually only listened to Gateway songs. Yeah, good because they're all shit. <laughs> and again, it is partly because I I do recommend seeing this show um, rather than listening to it. Well, but luckily soon we'll be able to watch the Broadway production. That's right. How very exciting. That? Um, so yeah, I am gonna put me in the sky, which Josephine doesn't like the lyrics of, but. Um, uh, I do think that that's a great standalone song. Um, and the other one I'm putting is Welcome to the Rock. <laughs> She's got the shaker <laughs> I my shaker. Um, the other one I'm recommending is Welcome to the Rock, which is the opening number, which does just kind of give you a general. There's some really good harmonies in this. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like, it's just like here's what was happening in Gander on yeah. that day yeah. kind of thing. Like that, it's just, you know, it's just like here's, and the rock is what they call yeah. the island kind of thing. And so, yeah, I just, it's just kind of a good like intro. Yeah. Anything else, it's a bit hard to take out of the show out of context. Yeah. So, um, and there is just the original Broadway cast uh, that exists. So I'm going to link to that on Spotify. And yeah, that's come from away. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, Ruth. No worries. I, I mean, I really geek out on the true story nature of it. Totally. Um, obviously, I love that sort of thing. And yeah, yeah, I really that that. I didn't realize it was verbatim theater, so I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it. like. I think probably the true definition of verbatim theatre is that they haven't changed anything, right? Like it's it's really the – I always thought it had to actually be their words. real words. Yes, I think so. Which obviously they have like changed for rhyme schemes and stuff. Yeah. But it is all based on real interviews. So wait, you're telling me that the lyrics of Me in the Sky is the edited version? <laughs> they changed that? Mm, interesting. Oh, dear. But, yeah, so. <laughs> Thanks for that, Reed. Yeah, and we will touch base on it in a few weeks. Okay, I look forward to that. Yes. And uh, this has been my favourite musical. Yeah, like and subscribe. Yeah, you can contact us through all the normal channels uh, and we will be in your ear holes next week for a mixtape episode. Yeah. You have to wait a fortnight for the next full episode where we talk about two other musicals. And I think that's all my news. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.